Good morning. I'm speaking to you from my desk at home. And our passage today is 1 Peter 5. And while preparing this talk, I was continually struck by how much more personally relevant Peter's message seems to me now and the time we are all in, literally globally right now. Of course, what Scripture gives us is always meant to be relevant to our lives, but sometimes what is written seems even more so at certain times. I think we can agree today that while in the middle of this coronavirus pandemic, this is one of those times. The circumstances of Peter's readers were that they were scattered throughout much of Asia Minor. and were living in uncertain times because of their newfound faith. Some facing martyrdom, and Peter himself was martyred during Nero's reign sometime in the early 60s AD. Few of us are being threatened with martyrdom right now, but most of us, even if not enduring the status of being a refugee, as many are, are experiencing a different kind of scattering, that is in the form of what is now called social distancing, something which creates isolation of a different kind. And we, too, are living in uncertain times. An NIV note says this letter of Peter has been characterized as a letter of separation, of suffering and persecution, of suffering and glory, of hope, of pilgrimage, of courage, and as a letter dealing with the true grace of God. And we see that Peter has written it as an encouragement to God's flock, believers in Jesus Christ. So let's see how many of the Lord's words to us through Peter addresses the situation we find ourselves in now, and how they might encourage us to live godly lives in the midst of it. I will now read 1 Peter 5, verses 1 to 11 from the ESV as you mostly find it in your study guide. Therefore I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a, as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble." Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Cast all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, 
will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. One of the things that struck me in reflecting on this passage is that the word suffering occurs as many times as the word glory, and the two always seem to be interlinked. Peter had a unique personal experience in witnessing both Christ's earthly suffering and his heavenly glory, as in his witness of Jesus' transfiguration. And we know Peter was soon to share in Christ's earthly suffering too. But in life now, Peter is comforted by the knowledge that he will also share in the glory of Christ, as all believers will, because they are joint heirs with him. Remember Paul's words in Romans 8:17, If we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. In our text, Peter goes on to tell us how we are to behave whenever we find ourselves in certain periods of suffering. Chapter 5 really begins with un, the Greek for therefore, which harks back to the previous section of the letter that ended chapter 4, with so let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And that continues to be the gist of Peter's exhortation in chapter 5. That during suffering, we are to entrust our souls to our faithful creator while at the same time doing good. Part of doing good for Peter is that senior members in the community who exercise pastoral care over others be good role models for them and serve them in humility, not to lord it over them in any way. They are to act as under-shepherds to the chief shepherd, Christ, the only Lord, and the one to whom we are all answerable. They are to guard the flock's interests and offer them protection in whatever form that may be. They are also to offer them encouragement, as Peter is doing here. and They are to do so willingly, I would even say cheerfully, not calculating what gain might come from it. Jesus told Peter in John twenty one sixteen, Take care of my sheep. And that is the same injunction Peter is passing on to the older generation in the church, to whom the younger should be subject. As I as a definitely established elderly person in today's mayhem, I smile while I write that. And I hope some of you younger ones out there listening are listening closely to those words about submission. I end that sentence with a smiley face. At any rate, young or old, we are all to behave toward one another with humility. The word clothe and clothe yourselves is an unusual Greek verb that describes putting on a garment which ties over another garment with a knot, as with an apron. Peter is probably vividly remembering watching Jesus gird himself in this way when he stooped to wash his disciples' feet. The humility Peter is suggesting to all of us is, among other possibilities of personal service, mostly an attitude of mind. 
and humble yourselves is in the imperative. That means it is an attitude that demands, rather than suggests, active cooperation. It is not to be just one of passive resignation. But it's an attitude of mind that Peter says will result in God lifting us, that is, holding us in very high regard. Humbling ourselves is also, Peter says, an attitude of mind that will actually make us more alert to the devil's wiles, a devil who is an active and aggressive foe. Humbling ourselves will actually help us to resist him. And how is that? Because humility is always in contradistinction to pride. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So says Proverbs 16.18. In this proverb, pride is personified. And look where pride got Satan. Pride makes us vulnerable to Satan's attacks. But Satan cannot abide humility. And that is because he knows what Peter wants us to know. When we adopt a humble attitude, the God of all grace will not only grant us the grace to endure the suffering, but also, after we've suffered for what Peter says is a little while, God himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish us. It's all part of his lifting us. And how do we know that? Because, Peter says, we know all things are under God's mighty hand. Not only is God in control of all that happens, but no matter what happens, God can be trusted that in some way, even if that way is not always immediately clear to us, it is for our own good. So we might ask today, how can this pandemic in any way be good for us? We don't really know that answer. But over time, if we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, I believe the Lord will enable us to have little glimpses of what he wants us to learn from all this. What we do know now is what Peter and the rest of Scripture confirms, and that is that our God cares for us. And what is the greatest example of his love for us that we have? Jesus. While we were all While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus lived, died, and rose for us and has gone ahead to prepare a place for us. Nothing can ever separate us from God's love. We know that from Romans 8, 38. Easter is coming. Easter is already here. So what should we be doing in this Lenten meantime while we have trouble, while we suffer? David in Psalm fifty-five twenty-two says we are to cast our cares on the Lord and he will sustain us. And Peter agrees. Peter goes on to say that while we are doing that, we should know that brothers and sisters in Christ everywhere face and have always faced suffering of various kinds. Jesus himself said, in this world you will have trouble. Well, that may not make us feel particularly better right now, but Peter wants to suggest to us a spiritual antidote to our pain, even if we do not yet have an antidote for the coronavirus. The word cast in Greek 
as in cast all your anxieties, means to throw upon. This suggests effort, and it also suggests an object upon which something is to be thrown. It means you have to get up and hurl something. You may think you may need to do this many times, but the aorist tense of the participle casting suggests that we are to do it in a single action of committal with great determination. It's a once and for all time kind of action. And what are we to cast? All our anxieties, all our fears, despairs, and dispellers of hope. And upon whom are we to dump them? Upon the Lord. If our arms are feeling too weak, maybe a sister or brother can come alongside us to help us with the throw. We do not need physical touch to feel another alongside us in prayer. We are all in this together, and together let us under-shepherd one another in this. The Lord knows, and Peter knows the Lord knows, that we can't always make the trouble that besets us go away. But what Peter says we can and really must do is make an effort to get rid of the anxiety that it causes. We know in the case of this pandemic that it is not just fellow Christians that are facing the virus and all of its ramifications, but people literally all over the globe. This is a worldwide pandemic, just like sin. And our God is a worldwide God. And we see what the Lord sees, and that is there is much anxiety all around. And with it, some may even be asking questions they've never asked before and may be seeking answers as to where or to whom they might turn. Let us be some of those answers in the name and the spirit of the one who cares. I find it interesting that the word for the anxiety that Peter tells us to cast onto the Lord is a Greek word with a verbal root that means to divide or be drawn in opposite directions. Peter's point is that anxiety can so dis distract us that it draws us away from the Lord and renders us helpless to help ourselves or others. And isn't that just what our enemy, the devil, wants to see happen? The antidote, Peter says, is to turn to God and to find relief in pouring out our anxiety on him. Peter affirms that we can not only count on God's ability and readiness to help, he is a mighty God and cares for us, but he will enable us to resist the enemy while at the same time preserving us in peace of mind. Remember Isaiah 26.3, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in the King James Version. We can also realize that when we remain firm in the faith, we are undergirding the words of Revelation 12, 9 to 11, where it is written that Satan's final demise was partly brought about by the, quote, word of their testimony, end quote. That is the testimony of those who were accused by Satan, but who stood firm in their faith. Standing firm in our faith is the outward demonstration of our confession of Christ, our word 
testimony. Whatever we are called to endure, Peter is making an affirmation that God will complete our salvation because he has actually called us to his eternal glory in Christ. The little we are called to suffer is given in comparison to the eternal and divine character of the glory. And if we Christians can remember and be sustained by these words, we will be able to point others whose hearts are anxious to the one who cares for them, too, and who will see them through. God invites us to confess our anxiety and say with the psalmist, I believed, even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. God knows all of us can become anxious, but after confessing our fears, he wants us to give them all over to him, where his perfect love can cast them out. When we exercise a strong confidence in our God of grace, we will not only help to calm ourselves and other sheep, we will be acknowledging the truth that our chief shepherd has already defeated the lion. So as a wrap-up, let me just remind us that the same prophets that testified beforehand about the sufferings that the Messiah would incur and who reported on the many sufferings of God's people are the same prophets who also foresaw the subsequent glories that Peter in this letter spoke of in chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. Often in Scripture, and especially in this letter, we are told that God will use our sufferings to perfect, stabilize, and strengthen us. And when we avail ourselves of his strength and communicate his love, we can be an encouragement to others in our community in times of suffering, and not just in our own community. Psalm 67 is for all the hurting world with its prayer. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us, that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. God's desire is that all people know how much he, the God of grace, loves them and desires their good. Peter ends his letter with peace to all of you who are in Christ. Those of us already in Christ have a foretaste of the unspeakable exceeding joy that will be fully experienced when Christ's glory is finally revealed. And that is where we find our peace. We have peace because of his resurrected power and the life of the Holy Spirit that lives in us. So let us pass this peace. It is this direct personal relation to Christ that makes such ministry to one another and to any others not of this fold, both possible and acceptable. Peter ends with, greet one another with a kiss of love. We today seem to be more huggers than kissers, and we can't even do that now, sadly. But what we can do is serve one another in many ways, as I know we are already doing right here in the Blacknell community. And we can bless. With praise and prayer, without distraction, and with lots of blessing, we go forward. And we go forward clothed in humility, but also with the whole armor of God. I'd like to close first with a few words written by the poet John O'Donohue 
and then with a word from Paul taken from Ephesians 3.20 in the King James Version. O'Donohue. When suffering knocks on the door of your life, may you glimpse its eventual gifts. And Paul, now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Amen.